Hey everybody, this is Kendall from the Recording Lounge Podcast. It is March 16th, 2017, and today we're talking about gain staging here on the Recording Lounge Podcast. First, I just wanted to mention a couple of updates and pieces of news that uh, I felt like sharing with you. Number one, uh, make sure you're checking out the YouTube channel uh, that you're subscribed and that you like and share and comment on the videos. I'd love to hear from you guys on the videos. I'm um, really getting into the YouTube channel because it allows me to answer small questions in a you know five ten minute format. You know something that I couldn't necessarily justify making a podcast about because it's not really a big enough topic, or perhaps something that really just can't be explained from me talking and instead needs to be shown visually to really get it. Uh, so make sure you're checking out the YouTube channel, which is youtube.com slash recording lounge. If you're not subscribed, go subscribe right now. You know, you'll get updates when I post new videos. Um, and speaking of, number two is next month, I'm going to be posting five or six videos to the YouTube channel, uh, which is a big deal. These videos are some videos I've been working on with a videographer friend of mine. Uh, we've got some cool things. These are, again, some requested topics um, from people that I thought, well, I could do a show on that, or I've already done a show on that, but it's been a while, um, things like that. And so I'm really excited to be doing some more video uh, work. So make sure you like and subscribe and share and comment and all that sort of stuff. It really helps out the YouTube channel when you share it and when you post it on your Facebook or your Twitter or your Instagram or whatever, um, you know, it's really helpful and I appreciate it. Uh, number three, if you want to be a patron of the podcast, meaning you want to help support me making this podcast with uh, a small donation each time I come out with a podcast, um, again, the YouTube videos are not part of Patreon. It's just the podcast itself. Uh, you can go to patreon.com slash recording lounge. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash recording lounge. Now, I've got some listeners from outside the U.S. that say if you are a non-U.S. resident, Patreon has some pretty extensive fees. Now, I'm not positive if that has been updated or changed, um, but I just wanted to warn all of you guys about that um, and that PayPal apparently is better for uh, if you're not in the United States, PayPal would be a more effective donation. Now, with PayPal, you can make a one-time donation or a recurring donation. Uh, and you can set that up on the Recording Lounge website, recordingloungepodcast.com, and, uh, and go to the support RL tab, and that'll take you where you need to go. Uh, number four, speaking of the Recording Lounge website, um, make sure you guys are checking out the blog and the resource hub. Uh, so I've added some more things to the resource hub on the Recording Lounge website, some more links, some more books. Uh, you can just go to recordingloungepodcast.com slash resources, or you can just go to the parent website and click the link. But um, there are some great things on that page. Uh, great links, great links to books, to gear companies, to acoustics and design articles, to electronics articles, um, other great podcasts and YouTube channels. Um, really, really, really happy with the resource hub. If you have any suggestions for the resource hub, just email me, send me, you know, if there's a cool website that you know of, uh, that you want me to bookmark and put it on the resource hub, go for it. Send it my way. Please don't send me any porn. Anyway, uh, also make sure you're checking out the blog 
on uh, the Recording Lounge podcast website. I just posted a new blog, a pretty lengthy blog called How to Apply for Studio Internships. Now, I was going to do a podcast about this, and I still might, um, but this uh, this blog is basically about how I've, I receive a lot of emails about um, internships or assistant jobs with me at the studio, and so many of them, so many of the people emailing me, they just don't really know how to apply for an internship and and they do it in such a way that just make turns me off from even you know considering them and there's a couple of big key points there so make sure you check out the blog just go to recordingloungepodcast.com slash blog or go to the parent website and click the link and again like comment share uh, it really helps out the website and the podcast when you guys share and comment and like um, especially when you share the videos and the podcasts and the blog and all that stuff it's super helpful for me I'm really trying to get the podcast um, to get some more traffic and get some more interest um, the podcast has been going for a long time um, we're been going on about eight years now so uh, whew, it's been a while and we're also approaching show number 100 very close I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do for that what I'm gonna do for that but uh, anyway I uh, just wanted to give you guys a couple updates and things like that and again uh, I guess I would say number five is I just wanted to thank you guys again for your support and your emails and your nice comments and um, all the love I've been getting on the YouTube channel as well all the likes and shares and things like that again that stuff is super helpful and I really appreciate when you guys do that and as always always if you guys have any issues with the website or the YouTube channel or the podcast or anything if there are any errors or if you have any questions comments or show suggestions send me an email at recordingloungepodcast at gmail.com or fill out the form on the website all right let's get to the show so what is gain staging and why is it so important well in a very general sense gain staging is just the idea of properly structuring gain across every part of the chain. Um, so from microphone to preamp to converter or to tape machine or whatever. Um, but it's also the idea of creating sort of a uniform, consistent plane for all of your tracks as a starting point when recording or before you start mixing. So we're going to get into each of these and sort of explain what that means. So let's take the first part of the gain staging definition, which is just good level practices between all the parts of the chain. So the old school way of gain staging was pretty straightforward. It was essentially you set your tracks to about zero VU. The important thing to keep in mind here is that VU meters are not accurate peak meters. Okay, They're more like average level meters or RMS meters, essentially. Um, so zero VU doesn't really help us out in the digital domain. Now, the reason that we would do that is because the louder stuff would push a little bit over and maybe get a little bit compressed, uh, and then the stuff underneath would still be plenty hot. You know, back in those days, especially when everybody was using tape, you had to make sure and push a, a decently hot level to tape uh, so that your noise floor wouldn't get out of control. And compressors also helped with that, but uh, you didn't want to push the tape too hard, and you also didn't want to push it not enough. Uh, so that's kind of where the gain staging thing came from, is 
just making sure you've got good levels to maximize your signal to noise ratio and maximize your level to tape so that you're not dealing with noise issues and things like that. Uh, so everything was gain stage to zero VU on the input. And then from there, um, you know, for the mix, obviously you can move the faders however you need, but all the tracks were gain stage to this sort of equal level. Now, what does that mean for us in the digital domain? Well, essentially, uh, through lots of research and things like that, a lot of people have come up with this idea that zero VU is essentially about the equivalent of negative 18 RMS or negative 18 in the digital domain, the average level. Uh, so again, average level is different than peak level. Talking about the sort of meat of the sound on average is about negative 18. The peaks might go above that. Now, the question of how loud should those peaks go, we're going to get to that in just a second. So when we're talking about gain staging from each step in the chain, uh, the first thing is the microphone. Now, as you know, every microphone has a little bit different output level. You've got like passive ribbons and large, large dynamic microphones that have very low output levels. And then you've got like active ribbons and you've got maybe higher quality dynamic microphones with output transformers. And you've got condensers and, you know, tube mics and large diaphragm condensers are generally pretty hot outputs. Um, but then the first stage of gain, sort of other than, you know, the electronics in the microphone, the first stage of gain that we hit is the mic preamp. Now we want to make sure and get a pretty healthy level on our mic preamp. Now some microphone preamps have an input gain and an output gain. And you're going to see this trend a lot, um, but generally speaking for the cleanest sound, you're going to run your output all the way up and you're going to push up your input gain as needed. That's going to make sure that, you know, just like a guitar amp, uh, your output gain, if you want a clean guitar sound, uh, you run the output high and the input low, and that allows you to have tons of headroom and it's more efficient and it's just cleaner. Now, you can drive your microphone preamps for effect if you want or push them into the next stage of gain. For example, you can push really hard into the input of a compressor like an LA2 or an LA3 or something and get this cool distortion. Well, you know, again, that's an effect that's sort of a creative effect, but if we're just talking about general gain staging here, we don't need to run your microphone preamp super hot, but you can if you want, but just don't run it too quiet. You want to get a good healthy level out of that microphone preamp. So it also allows, you know, the piece of gear that's next in the chain to handle that more effectively. So like a compressor or an EQ. Now, a lot of my listeners out there, a lot of you guys and gals, um, you aren't using outboard compressors and EQs. And that's totally okay. That actually makes things a lot easier for you in terms of gain staging. But the two things you need to be aware of when talking about EQs and compressors is we have gain staging practices for those as well. So when compressing, for example, um, if you're compressing, uh, say, an average of 5 dB on average, you're supposed to turn your makeup gain on that compressor up by 5 dB. That's sort of the, quote, proper gain staging practice. And on EQ, if you're boosting a lot on your EQ, you need to turn your output level down to compensate for those extra boosts. And that's one of the reasons we have bypass switches on compressors and EQs, because we're trying to level match the bypass signal with the affected signal. So that's that can come in handy, whether it's a plug-in or a piece of gear or an outboard piece of gear. That's how we gain stage processors like compressors and EQs and whatever. Uh, we bypass the processor. We note the level with our ears. We turn on the processor and we sort of adjust our output to be roughly the same level as the unaffected signal. That's proper gain staging of processors. Now, if you're not using any outboard EQs and compressors, 
really all you have to worry about is not clipping your converter. Now, this topic has been debated a little bit and it a lot of it depends on your particular converter. There are some converters out there like the Burl converters um, that are designed and they're totally okay to clip. They have analog circuitry that allows them to be clipped and it sounds good. Um, it's not a hard digital clipping. Um, but that's not what I'm talking about. Okay, Most of us, myself included, are using sort of normal, clean digital converters that don't sound good clipped. So we don't want to clip those. So what is a good level then? Well, I like to use the 0VU equals negative 18 RMS level sort of standard. I think that works really well. But what about peak levels? Well, I like to set my peak levels not really any louder than negative 6, um, just because I want to make sure and give myself plenty of headroom in case of a loud snare hit or a vocal, um, you know, or an acoustic guitar spike, you know, and, and sometimes these things just get compressed, and so I don't have to worry about that as much. But if they're not compressed, then I just don't want to, I don't want them to clip. You can ruin a good performance by clipping your converter. So some sources to watch out for, obviously vocals, but also acoustic guitars, clean electric guitars, any percussion. So snare drum, kick drum, toms, cymbals, you know, overheads, especially hand percussion like tambourines, shakers, bongos. Those things can have huge transient spikes. Um, uh, distorted guitars and basses and strings and things like that, they don't have nearly as much of the worry um, of like, oh gosh, is it going to clip? Um, just make sure when you're getting levels for things, you actually have the person play what they're going to play. So have a drummer play through the song. Don't just have them, you know, hit your snare drum, hit your snare drum, because we all know the story. They're going to hit it a lot quieter in the sound check than they actually hit it and don't ruin a performance by leaving yourself too little headroom a great tip uh, that I remember reading about from George Massenberg was if you're concerned about a gain staging for a vocal and you don't want to track with compression or you don't have any outboard compressors, what he likes to do is use a splitter box and split from uh, the microphone and go into two microphone preamps. You can also split this at a patch bay or something like that and then go into a compressor uh, and just use it as an output controller uh, rather than actually compressing or just using using the output knob. Um, but this way, you can essentially record the vocal onto two tracks. You can record one for a, a more hot level for the quieter sections of the song, and then you can record one that's turned down for the louder sections of the song. That way, if you clip on the quiet track, it doesn't matter. And if you know, you're too quiet on the quiet sections of the loud track, that doesn't matter. You can just edit them together later and get a solid, cohesive performance. So that's a great tip. Consider doing that if you don't have any outboard compressors and you want to have that extra safety. When in doubt, just record it a little quieter. All right. It's that simple. Just record it a little bit quieter. Um, now, in the digital domain, we don't really have to be concerned about tracking really hot, especially if we're talking about 24 and 32 bit audio. Our dynamic range is so high now and our converters are getting so good and our noise floors are so low. I mean, even like a mediocre interface or converter, the noise floor is like negative 100. Like that's just like a normal spec. Like high quality converters, their noise ratings are down at like negative 120, negative 130 dB for the noise. And that's just insane. I mean, most microphone preamps are going to have noise down to like negative 80, negative, you know, something like that. And so, I mean, negative 120 is ridiculous. So if you record your signal a little bit too quiet, 
it's not going to matter. You can just turn it up, okay? You don't want to clip your converter on the way in, all right? You just don't want to do that. You don't want to ruin a performance with that loud vocal note that clips, but it was a great vocal, you know, it's disastrous. So make sure you protect yourself against that. Now, if you do use compressors, you know, again, that is a nice way to prevent yourself from clipping your converter. But again, even still, even with compressors, like you shouldn't be tracking so hot that a compressor is like your only reason why you're not clipping, you know, like it shouldn't be that hot anyway. So how do we decide, you know, how hot we should be tracking and why is it helpful to have an even gain staging structure across all the tracks? Well, I'll tell you. So if you define your level, let's say we use our zero VU equals negative 18 reference and you define that every track that you record, your vocal, your guitar, your kick, your snare, all that stuff is going to be about negative 18 on average. Uh, and again, that's a little bit tricky to set for drums because the average level on drums is not very high. Uh, it's a very transient, heavy instrument. So it's a little tricky on drums. Um, but I have my own recommendation for that. We'll get to that in a second. If you set all of your levels to around the same negative 18 average, um, then when you pull up a fader, when you pull up all these faders, you have an actual real life reference for how loud things are in comparison to each other. So if you've got a guitar and a vocal, and on average, they're both about negative 18 dB, then in theory, when the faders are the same level, then the tracks are about the same level. Take the opposite, for example. If you recorded your tracks all over the place in levels with no sort of standard reference, um, then you know you could have a guitar track, a fader, super high and a lead vocal fader all the way low, but the lead vocal is still louder than the guitar. And that can be a little bit confusing. Now, this is, again, a little bit more common to see for people mixing on a desk or people mixing in the live domain because they want to have a visual reference. Now, in the mixing domain, we don't really care, but it's still really useful, I think. Now, I just wanted to touch on that real quick about uh, gain staging in a live uh, setting and also gain staging in terms of headphone mixes and why that can actually be really helpful and time-saving for you. So in a live sound environment, the proper way that most guys do it is they'll gain stage to a certain peak level. Most consoles these days that guys are using live are digital, and so there's not really any sort of reference for, for that either in terms of average level. They're in the same boat as we are. So a front of house guy that I know references everything. His gain staging is all to negative 10. So he sets his kick drum to negative 10, and this is all on the input gain, right? And this is what I'm talking about with, you know, when it comes to gain staging here is you set your input gain to that um his you know his fader is is his mix that's something different but his input gain is negative 10 and i just want to be clear in case you're confused um i'm not talking about the actual like label on the knob i'm talking about a meter that's showing you the kick drum is hitting negative 10 so this would exist on a live console but it also exists in most daws and in most like interface control panels so anyway, he sets everything to negative 10 uh, on his kick, on his snare, on his vocal, all that stuff. Again, you try to get it as close as you can. The reason that that's nice is that if a different singer comes in or a different drummer comes in or a different uh, bass player comes in, anybody, all he has to do is reference everything to negative 10 and his headphone mixes and monitor mixes stay the same pretty much. You know, they're going to be altered slightly, but he can essentially create a monitor mix that works really well. And then if an, the next band comes in and he gain stages everything to the exact same level, 
the monitor mix should be pretty darn close, right? Because everything's got a consistent plane. That's the sort of thing I'm talking about when it comes to gain staging and why this works really well. So here's what I encourage you to do. If you're recording something like a vocal or an acoustic guitar or a bass or a keyboard or something like that um, that doesn't have huge transient spikes, um, you know, that has transients but not necessarily huge, on average, try to set the level around negative 18 and try to keep peaks no higher than negative 6. Now, for the stuff like kick drum and snare drum and toms, try to set those peaks around negative 6 to negative 10. I'd say the most common thing to clip is going to be a snare drum. Kick drums are generally a little bit more stable in their level, um, but sometimes not. It, a lot of that depends on the drummer. So set your levels for those conservatively. You don't want to set them too quiet again, and you don't want to set them too loud. But again, when in doubt, just set them quieter, okay? Now, let's talk about gain staging in the mix and why that's important and how that applies to all that we've talked about so far. So gain staging in the mix is not only about creating that sort of uniformity across the tracks like we talked about with, you know, all having a consistent level reference, um, but it allows you to make sure you have plenty of headroom on your plugins and on your buses. You know, in theory, you shouldn't be clipping anything in the process. You shouldn't be. And that's just kind of what gain staging is. It's like making sure you have good levels at every every part of the chain, right? At every stage. So you don't want to clip your mic preamp, unless that's sort of the artistic thing you want to do. And you don't want to clip your converter. And you don't want to clip your plugins on that track. You don't want to clip the output of that track. You don't want to clip the group that it's going to. You don't want to clip the master bus and so on and so on, okay? You don't want any of that stuff to clip because that clipping can add up in a very noticeable way. Now, if you listen to an individual track, it might sound fine, but if you have a little bit of clipping on a plug-in here and a plug-in there and a plug-in there, and you have that across 50 tracks, and maybe, you know, you don't hear it, but then when it's all together, you're definitely going to hear it. Now, uh, it's a little bit different from what we talked about with the stacking myth on the YouTube channel. Again, if you haven't watched that video, go check that out. And that's because the clipping is happening in different ways, okay? It's not the... You know, it's not that uh, the EQ is being applied to individual channels like on the Stacking Myth video. Um, it, it, it's the clipping is happening on a transient here and a transient there and a transient there. And it's happening all over the place in, you know, in hundreds of thousands of tiny little places. So make sure you're not clipping your plugins. Now, there are some people that have suggested that plugins sound better when you gain stage to negative 18. Uh, again, that's your average level. Um, now, some people even, have even suggested, myself included, have even suggested gain staging to negative 18 peak, which might be a little bit excessive. Um, I used to think that, you know, you needed tons of headroom and all this stuff. And, and yes, you do need headroom, but that was a little bit excessive, I'll admit. Um, so I've sort of changed my opinion on that. I'm more of the negative 18 or negative 20 uh, RMS level now, uh, and that makes a little more sense to me. Now, like I said, some people suggest that plugins sound better uh, at this stage, and I don't necessarily think that they sound better um, or that they were designed to operate there. I think everybody sort of gain stages things a little bit differently when they code plugins. Would like to think that there was some sort of standard, but there's not really, uh, you know, input sensitivity wise. Some plugins need to see a hot signal, and that's kind of annoying to me. Um, some plugins actually allow you to adjust the input sensitivity and adjust, you know, what it sees as a good level, which I think is really cool. Uh, a lot of Gregory Scott, uh, the UBK plugins do that. They allow you to sort of adjust that, like, 
initial sensitivity of the processor, uh, which I think is great. So anyway, um, if you've got your stuff gain stage correctly, you shouldn't be clipping a plugin. If you are clip clipping a plugin, you should turn it down. Now remember, the same thing applies in the digital domain that applies in the analog domain when it comes to EQ and compression. So if you're EQing and you're boosting a lot, uh, then you want to make sure and turn down your output level and try to match that with the un-EQed signal. And if you're compressing, uh, match about the average amount of compression or gain reduction to how much you're boosting the makeup gain. So this is one of the reasons why, and I have a video about this on the YouTube channel, this is one of the reasons why I think some people think that cutting EQ sounds better than boosting. Uh, and it's because when you cut, especially on an analog EQ, you're conserving headroom and you're essentially driving the unit less. And if you're boosting EQ and you're not adjusting your output level, and remember that there's a lot of analog EQs that don't have an output fader. Um, so that could be part of the uh, sort of source of this myth, which is truly a myth. Cutting EQ versus boosting EQ, they're literally the same thing. They're the same in amplitude. They're the same in phase. They're basically the same thing all around. Again, barring some analog EQ designs that have different curves for cutting versus boosting, but I'm not going to talk about that. Really, the only difference between cutting and boosting is on an analog EQ, you're conserving gain and you're actually driving the amplifier in that EQ circuit less. And in the box, um, you're conserving headroom in your mix and leaving you very little chance of clipping that plug-in. Now, obviously, boosting and cutting both have their place. To me, it's a pretty simple equation. You cut stuff out that you don't like and you boost stuff that you do like. So just make sure that you compensate for any level changes from cutting or boosting um, by bypassing the plugin, checking the level before, and then comparing it to the level after. Your ears are your, your guide here, okay? You're not necessarily looking at meters, you're just using your ears. Because remember, the way that we hear is more of an average level type thing. Like, that's how we perceive loudness. Anyway, um, so just be warned, you know, I, I like boosting EQ a lot. I'm not like a, you know, boost or cut only sort of guy. I do both, but I like boosting. Okay. Boosting is fun. You know, I like the way that it sounds on analog EQs, but just be warned. Okay. When you boost, uh, you can run into problems later in terms of the whole chain. So if you boost a little EQ on your snare channel, uh, then you boost a little EQ on your drum bus, and you boost a little EQ on your groups, and you boost a little EQ on your master bus, sooner than later, you're going to be clipping somewhere. So when in doubt, try to conserve as much headroom as possible. Um, so that's sort of, you know, we're following along the stage. We don't clip our mic preamp unless we want to creatively. We don't clip our converters. We leave ourselves plenty of headroom. We don't clip our plugins. Then we want to make sure that we have a good starting point. So if all of your tracks are recorded to a good, healthy, you know, negative 18 RMS uh, level, um, generally what I like to do is start with all faders at negative 10. Um, now, sometimes I'll vary from that. Sometimes I'll start a mix, all faders at zero or all faders at, you know, at, at nothing, at negative infinity, and just kind of work one piece at a time. But generally, I like to start about faders at negative 10. Uh, now, I'll put keep my group faders about negative six, um, but then my, my audio channels are at negative 10. Uh, so essentially, like a guitar or something with a pretty steady average level, uh, like an electric guitar, 
essentially my my now average level on that track from my starting point is like negative 28 so that's actually pretty low in the grand scheme of you know of, of tracks but that's why we have monitor controllers turn up your output if you can't hear it turn your monitors louder okay um, now i also wanted to get into that a little bit later about gain staging for monitors but we're going to talk about that in a second let's follow the chain again we've got our microphone we've got our preamp we've got our interface we've got our plugins now make sure that you're not clipping any of your buses as as well now in theory if we're working in a 32 floating point or 64 uh, bit uh, environment which most mix uh, mix consoles within DAW sort of use that architecture um, you don't need to put a trim plugin on your buses in theory you can like if you're clipping um, a bus you can just turn down the bus Okay, and, and, and that will effectively do what you need to do. It's not going to help you to put a trim plugin on unless it just messes with your fader levels or something. Um, but that is the same thing. Versus if you're clipping a plugin, you need to turn it down so it's not clipping the plugin. Uh, turning down the fader obviously will do nothing for you. You actually got to fix it at the plugin. Um, but on a on in the DAW, if you're clipping a channel, you turn it down. If you're clipping a bus, turn it down. If you're clipping the master bus, however, um, that's probably a sign that all of your tracks are too loud. Okay, so generally speaking, your master fader should be at zero, right? And that means if you've got all of your tracks playing and you're getting clipping, you probably need to select all of your tracks and turn them all down. Um, now. What's nice is that if you gain stage to negative 18 and then start your mix with all faders at negative 10, um, that's not going to happen. I mean, even if all your tracks have like insane transient spikes, like that's probably not going to happen. Now, uh, I've talked about this before. I am not an advocate of putting a limiter on your master bus. However, um, what I'm really talking about, I just want to clarify, is I'm not a fan of people putting a limiter on their master bus that's actually doing any work. Okay, so um, I will often put a limiter on my master bus, but I set it to zero. So the threshold is all the way up at zero and the output level is set to zero. And that's just for protection. Okay, that's just in case there's a loud peak or a fader gets bumped, you know, and, and something gets really hot. I just don't want to, you know slam my output really hot and hurt my ears um so that's more for protection than anything but for the most part my mix is living way below that my peaks aren't even getting close to that i mean the biggest peak in my in a finished mix of mine might hit negative one maybe negative one but again my limiter is not doing anything now I also like to keep it on there because if I need to do a quick mix for somebody and just send them a reference mp3, I can just open up my session, open up the limiter, pull down the threshold, give it a little bit more level so it's not so quiet for them to listen in their car or whatever on their phone, and then send it their way and then pull the limiter back up. Um, and I'll just use the FabFilter uh, Pro-L most of the time. It's a great limiter. It's really transparent. Um, and, and again, when I submit to mastering, I take that off. The problem is... Most mastering engineers are going to ask you to take that stuff off. So if you've been mixing through it, uh, that's going to be problematic. Now, some of you might say, oh, well, I don't really use an external mastering engineer. I just sort of do it myself. I promise you, it's if you just get in the habit now of avoiding the limiter on the master bus, you will thank me later. It will make your life so much easier. It will uh, keep you from just 
like the limiter is going to distract you from all these problems that exist. And it's just going to sort of smooth over those problems and say like, ah, those don't exist. Don't worry about those, man. Those are fine. No, your mix sounds awesome. When in reality, your mix sounds like crap. <laughs> so, uh, d don't mix with a limiter. That's my personal opinion. Take it or leave it. If you don't agree, that's totally fine. That's my personal opinion. Um, you know, I know guys that mix with limiters and they make great mixes. So there's that. I know from working with mastering engineers, they don't like it. I know from my personal experience, when I stopped mixing with a limiter on my master bus, probably uh, six, seven years ago, um, maybe longer. Uh, when I stopped doing that, I realized, man, I'm really noticing all the problems that exist in this mix. And I'm really starting to address the problems at the source, right? So like if the snare drum was the problem, you know, I'm a limiter on your master bus clipping those snare transients is going to push down your entire mix every time that snare drum hits. When in reality, I should have just uh, controlled it at the snare drum or at the drum bus. You know what I mean? So I, it allows you to really control the problems where they are. Anyway, so let's keep moving on. So your master bus, then we go to our output. So obviously you don't want to clip your converters. That's one reason that I put the limiter on the master. I want to make sure that nothing's going to clip those converters. Now, speakers, the general consensus of how we run speakers is we dime the amplifier. So we turn the speakers all the way up essentially, but then control the level between there. So that's how we run PA systems. That's how we run our monitor rigs, you know, uh, like studio monitors. Those should be set at the max level. And then there should be a volume control between your DAW and your speakers. Now, a lot of DAWs have this sort of monitoring output control. Um, I recommend getting a physical monitor controller. I love the Dangerous uh, Monitor ST, but there are tons of them out there. The Mackie Big Knob and the TC Level Pilot. Um, I do recommend, if you can afford it, to get a stepped attenuator volume controller. This is going to make uh, a much more of a difference than a pot. Okay, so volume pots tend to get scratchy over time. They tend to not be balanced very well between the left and the right channels um, because, again, that's an electrical tolerance. Um, when it comes to uh, stepped attenuators, that's generally done with relays and with resistors networks. And those can be much more finely matched than potentiometers or pots. Um, so... That I just I'm so much happier with a stepped attenuator. I know that it's accurate. I know that it sounds just as good at a quiet level that it does at a loud level. Um, now most like output controls on your interface or whatever for monitoring are going to be fine. Um, I just prefer having a physical uh, volume control right in front of me. So again, essentially you're leaving the next stage. The next stage in front always has headroom. Right. So that's kind of the general idea with gain staging. You don't want to clip your mic preamp. You also don't want to push into your compressor too hard. Again, in case that's for effect, you don't want to push your converter or interface too hard. You don't want to push your plug in too hard or your group too hard or your master too hard. And at the very end of the chain, your speakers, those are dimed all the way, turned all the way up. And you're essentially slowly pushing that into your pushing level into that dimed amplifier. And why we do that is because if it, that's generally just how amplifiers work the cleanest. Think of it like a guitar amp or a bass amp. How, if you want to get a really clean guitar tone, what do you do? You turn the master all the way up 
and you turn the input volume low. That's super clean, okay? Um, if you want a distorted sound, you're going to drive the preamp a little bit more, and you're going to turn the master down a little. Um, the same kind of goes for guitar pedals. Like, you can turn up the gain on a guitar pedal and then turn the output down, and you'll get a more distorted sound than if you pull the gain down and dime the output level and use it more like a clean boost or a cl you know, clean-ish boost. So the same goes in audio. So that also applies in mic preamps. Some microphone preamps have an input and output level. If you want it to be cleaner, dime the output level all the way up and just boost up the gain to where you need it. As you start bringing down those starts, those pieces of the chain, you'll start getting clipping. Whether it's really subtle or really obvious, you just got to be careful with that sort of thing. So, um, another question that I get often is, you know, if I have an external preamp and then my interface also has mic preamps, how do I deal with the gain staging between the onboard channels and my outboard preamps? Now, a lot of interfaces today have line inputs and that's what that is for you need to run your mic preamps to your line inputs not into another mic preamp okay that's two mic preamps one into the other you don't need to do that um, now there are some interfaces like the apogee stuff that um, either automatically select or you can select yourself when you plug in a quarter inch jack it's a line level and when you plug in an xlr it's a mic level um, so that's really nice it allows you to sort of just plug in the right cable and it automatically adjusts for the level differences and bypasses the mic preamp so that's just one more part of gain staging so let's talk about this in the big picture like we talked about earlier with uh, my front of house friend who gain stages everything and it makes his headphone mixes easier. If you really get in the habit of doing this over a long period of time, the same can apply to your mixes. Because let's say um, you start gain, gain staging everything to negative um, 18 RMS. Well, if you've got a preset on a compressor that's set to sound good at negative 18 RMS and you pull up another track that's average levels around negative 30 RMS, you're going to have to adjust threshold. Whereas if you have a preset for vocal compression that you really like and you know that it's gain staged to negative 18 RMS, you can even put that in the preset name, you know, like call it, you know, rock vocals, negative 18. And you'll know that that's your reference level. And then when you AB different compressors or different presets against each other, they'll all be referenced around that same level. So on a long-term scale and a big picture scale, gain staging can really save you time and energy later on um, by creating this sort of level playing field for everything. Uh, it can help out so your processors and your presets and all those things like that just work smoother and work as expected every time. You know, you're essentially just creating a reference system, uh, a repeatable reference system for yourself. And it can make so many things easier and it can prevent your mix from clipping in the digital domain, domain and it can prevent your plugins from clipping. I mean, there's really no bad parts about proper gain staging. I mean, I, I can't find anything about it. <laughs> I mean, the only bad thing is that it can take an extra two seconds per track to do. Um, now, here's the one thing I will say. Uh, if you are starting a mix from scratch and you're getting tracks from somebody else or the track levels are all over the place, I do recommend going through and gain staging if it wasn't done on the way in. Um, and you can do that a couple of ways. Uh, you can get a free VU meter plugin. Those are very easy to get. You can just 
go on Google and look up VU meter plugins. Um, and you can use a VU meter plugin. I use one called VUMT. I think that's what it's called. Um, yeah, VUMT. And I think it's free or like five bucks or something like that. And uh, you, you can set your reference. So I set my reference to negative 18 it equals zero VU. And I put it on my master bus and I just, uh, pull it up. And I go through every track in the mix and I adjust my input gain on my channel, um, which in I'm in Nuendo, so it has an input gain, a pre-insert input gain. Uh, but if you're in Pro Tools or something else, you can either use Clip Gain or you can use a Trim plugin as the first plugin on your slot. Um, I'm kind of a fan of using uh, trim uh, or the clip gain in Pro Tools. Yeah, probably not the right way to do it, but I kind of like doing that. It's really easy. Um, rather than wasting a plug-in slot with a trim plug-in. Um, but you just go through every channel and do that. Uh, so that's sort of the general gist of gain staging. I hope that it makes sense. Let's, let's sort of summarize again. So gain staging. It is the idea of creating a consistent level scheme across every piece of gear in the chain, but also across every track in your mix. Um, zero VU was the old standard and the equivalent in the modern day era, um, sort of as discussed by lots of different people, is around negative 18 RMS. Um, so if you level match everything to around negative 18 on average, um, which side note here, you can also buy hardware VU meters that hook up to the output of your DAW and, you know, you can run it on a headphone mix or something. And when you pull up a track, you can use that as your VU meter and get it gain staged that way from the way in. Um, but anyway, I digress. So, uh, if you level match everything to about negative 18 RMS, um, try not to let your peaks go over negative six or so when recording, you just want to be very careful with things like snare drum and vocal and kick drum and acoustic guitar. Watch out for those peaks. Really, if when in doubt, turn your level down. Once you get into the mix, you know, you should have plenty of headroom if you tracked it like that. Um, but make sure you're not clipping any plugins. If you EQ something and do a lot of boosts, make sure to pull down your output level accordingly, bypass the plugin and engage it and compare the level difference. Um, compression, when however many dB you're compressing on average, turn up your output level by that much. Unless you're clipping the plugin, don't do that. So don't clip a plugin. You know, keep conservative levels. You know, it, when in doubt, you can just grab all of your faders and turn the levels down. Okay, you shouldn't be clipping your master bus. If your master bus has nothing on it, it shouldn't be clipping at all. Okay, so from there, make sure to run your speakers hot all the way up. Get a, get a volume controller of some kind between there, between there and control your level into there, and you will get the cleanest reproduction of sound through those speakers. If you're using passive speakers with an amp, the same applies. Turn the amp all the way up. Um, I'm using a 300-watt amp with my NS10s, which is like totally overkill. I'm also using 75-watt uh, amps for my headphones. I'm using old power amps from Crown for my headphone amps on my uh, for my performers when they're in here recording. However, these are run at like, you know, 80% of the way up. I'm looking at them right now. They're running about 80% of the way up just because they start to get a little bit noisy all the way up. Um, and, but then I'm just pushing my headphone mix into them and it sounds really clean and really punchy. And people comment to me about how my headphone mixes sound good and how the headphones sound great here. And it's because I have plenty of headroom on that amp. It's not working hard at all. I mean, it's not even remotely getting close to distorting because I'm pushing a small signal into a wide open amplifier. 
Um, so I hope this podcast has been informative. I hope it's helped you understand all the many, you know, descriptions and what we mean when we talk about gain staging. Um, if you have more questions about this, if I wasn't clear enough, please send me an email and I'll be happy to answer your questions. Um, I also talk about gain staging very extensively in my book, three-dimensional mixing, which you can get at threedimensionalmixing.com in PDF format at the moment. Um, still working on that print version. I apologize for the long wait. I just, it's a big step to do this next, uh, to do this next edition. It's a much larger book. Um, there's lots of things involved with getting this published in print and in PDF and in the iTunes bookstore and in the Amazon Kindle store and all that stuff. It's a, it's a big process. So apologize for the wait. Uh, not a huge priority for me at the moment. My Priorities, obviously, my job, my family, and you know, even the podcast is more of a priority to me than the book. So, anyway, guys, I appreciate the patience, I appreciate the love and kindness and uh, appreciation for the podcast. Um, it, it's really important to me that you guys like the show and that I'm answering your questions and I'm doing shows about things you guys want to hear about. So, send me an email or comment on the Facebook page. Make sure to check out the YouTube and, of course, for all things Recording Lounge, recordingloungepodcast.com. Thanks, guys. I'll talk to you next time.